We are back, baby. <laughs> That's how you're going to start it? No, this is how I'm going to start it. That's not the tone of this show. And we're back for another episode of Modern Dadhood, the podcast. Get ready for stock tips, sports stuff, guys talking about lady stuff, and bro stuff. I've never hung out with guys before, if you can't tell. Well, this is Modern Dadhood, an ongoing conversation about the joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad. And sports. And general insanity of... And guys talking about lady stuff. (laughs) Lady stuff. (laughs) The joys, challenges, and general insanity of being a dad in this moment. Your name is Mark Andrew Checkett. And you are a dad to twin boy four-year-olds. And my name? 100%. And you name, you name. (laughs) Oh, shit. And your name is Adam Jehoshaphat Flaherty. (laughs) And you're a dad to two girls, eight and five. That's right. Only getting older every day, as are my kids. And it's, uh, well, it's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? Well said. Today's episode is the second part of our amazing conversation with comedian Chris Gethard, where he speaks really candidly with us about his new essay, Dad on Pills, and about his history with mental health and his fatherhood experience. And we're going to get back into the conversation very soon. Can I, can I, can I, um... Yeah, man, whatever it is. This is your podcast. You You don't have to ask me permission to do whatever you want to do. You know, when you go to a fancy restaurant and they give you like a little teeny tiny little nosh, sometimes it's like a, sometimes it's a little caviar and like a, like a, like a radish, like a radish shaving on like a fancy spoon. And you just, it's because they call it an amuse bouche. And it's just sort of like, Set what? the mood and maybe entice you for the for the the the, the forthcoming meal. You know this, right? You know this fancy no, I don't think we're going to the same restaurants. I've never I've never come across the amuse bouche. You've never come across the amuse bouche? <laughs> no, and I've never had caviar. No, you've never eaten caviar. No. What's the what? weirdest thing you've ever eaten? This is not a ramble cast, but let's just get this out of the way. What's the weirdest or craziest or wildest or most incredible or amazing thing you've ever eaten? I'm a little bit conservative when it comes to food. I'm not that adventurous. Really? The craziest I mean, thing I've eaten. Don't tell me you're a meat and potatoes guy. That's, a, that's like the people said that in the, in the 1950s. People don't say that anymore. Oh, no, I like vegetables. I'm just not all that uh, adventurous when it comes to seafood or, you know, I'm not going to elect to try, you know, insects and that sort of thing like they might in other countries. You're you're missing out. All I'm going to say is you're missing out. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be very entertaining with my answer. It's because I I can't even think of one really adventurous thing that I've tried. But you you must have something. I once I once had Python. At a restaurant in, of all places, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Freaks me out. It was a really weird mouthfeel. Well, all, all I was going to say was, is it okay for me to, to, to hint at really quite a special thing that's going to happen in this episode? There's, there's actually a very special thing that's going to happen towards the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. 
Hint. I'm, I just did. I just hinted at it. Should, should I hint differently than that? No. Towards the end of our conversation with Chris Gethard, uh, something very special happens. And let's just say, keep listening and you'll hear it too. So real quick, I, have, I just have a story that I wanted to share with you since you're my friend and fellow and a, and a fellow dad. Okay. So, but there's a lot of, a lot of emotions and a lot of talk about emotions going on in this household lately. I don't know. I'm sure you, I'm sure you and your lovely wife, emotions are emotions with your kids in our household, like constantly. Yeah. It's a thing, but it's a good thing to learn to talk about them. Oh, for sure. I didn't have a lot of that growing up, but definitely sort of found the good later in life in, in talking about feelings and emotions and all that kind of stuff. And we've got these great books. I'm sure that are, uh, I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners and, and you as well probably know these books, but the, um, the little spot books, you've got like the little peaceful spot and you've got the little spot of kindness and spot of confidence and spot of sadness and anger. And you get the theme, right? And if, if you're not familiar with these books, you get the theme. I actually don't know those and, books at all. Oh, you don't know these books? Oh, they're fantastic. No. So they're written and illustrated by Diane Alber. Diane Alber. I'm not sure how to say her name. Anyway, great books. Highly recommend. Um, they're very instructional. I mean, there's like some story in them, but they're really like just kind of straight into the point. Like sometimes you feel sad, <laughs> you know, like it kind of gets right to it. We've been reading these lately. And one of my sons in particular has sort of t- really taken really quickly, actually, I feel like to using what he's hearing in these books to talk through what he's feeling. And it's actually been a really cool thing to Mm -hmm. witness. Um, And, you know, sometimes you get these books and, you know, you see what the point of them are and you kind of take it with a grain of salt and you're kind of like, sure. Okay. There's a lesson to be learned here, but like, is my kid just going to like focus on the one thing that has nothing to do with the lesson, right? You know, they're going to miss the lesson altogether. And sure. One of my kids is absolutely like that. The other one, like I said, it, it's really kind of working for him. And we had this really interesting thing happen the other night where um, recently my kids sort of graduated from one level at daycare to the, to the other because they, they had a birthday. And so they had to go into a different room. And for the first time ever, they've separated our kids. They've always been in the same room mm-hmm. together. And so now they're in two different rooms. It's this experiment we're mm-hmm. kind of trying was that their, the and school's recommendation or was that your ask? It was the school's recommendation, but it was also what we were feeling was probably the best thing for everybody. Yeah. They love each other, but they're also brothers who are at the same developmental stage. And so they also want to kill each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, that independence, so, um, I'm sure is a, is a really, I'm sure it will be a positive thing for them. I mean, honestly, we've already in just a short time have seen some really positive changes in both of them. Really. One of them in particular has a uh, stuffed animal, his, his stuffy, his lovey, uh, whose name is bungalow bear. You've heard about him before. If you can't can't tell. He has a long history in your family. He, He does. Yes, he does. He has got a very long history and my son takes him to school and he's allowed to have him in his cubby during the day. But during rest time, he's allowed to go get bungalow and he's allowed to hold on to bungalow. 
and it makes him calm and makes him feel really good. The thing that we've always been really scared of, of course, is what if we leave Bungalow at school by accident and he yeah. doesn't have him at night? And of course that happened. Yep. And <clears throat> we realized it right away. Right? We're at home. School is now closed. We're on the path towards bedtime. And my wife says to me, I, you know, I left Bungalow at school. Did she just realize it or had she been living with that for a little while? (laughs) I feel like I should say that differently because it's, it it makes it sound like she forgot something. Yeah, Yeah, no, but it's like she, you know, there's a million things to do when you go and pick your kids up at daycare and bungalow just got left behind. And so she let me know kind of early in the evening and both of us were like, ah, shit, how do we... (laughs) Like, what do we do? And we were kind of like, you know, we, there was, there was just this indecision and it, it, we couldn't move forward. We were like, we'll just, at some point we'll tell him and we'll deal with the repercussions that there will be a backlash. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it never seemed like the right time. And then suddenly we're like in the bedroom, kids are in bed and my son reaches and he goes, Oh, where's bungalow. And my wife is over with my other son and I'm with, with him. And I'm like, in my, in my mind, I'm like, come on, man, here it goes. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, figure out, you know, the best way to handle this. And so I just very calmly in a, in, in my most soothing tone said, Hey, bungalow, bungalow got left at school. And, and that was as far as I got. Oh. And he lost it. And he, I've never, he was so raw and he was devastated and he's just sobbing and sputtering and, and, and falling apart. And your heart is just like breaking, but simultaneously <laughs> I'm kind of seeing this from like a, a, a different perspective where I'm hearing the stuff that he's saying and it's, it's objectively just like kind of funny. I, I know what you mean. And you feel bad you know thinking I mean? that if you feel bad, feeling uh, absolutely. That. But yes. yes, sometimes my wife and I look at each other and we have to try not to laugh. And it's not because we don't feel sorry for our kid. It's like, yeah, you have no idea though. You have no idea. Oh, and, and, and I literally, I feel it right now. I literally feel like a, a a weight in my chest, like a pang in my heart area. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about him just throwing his head back and looking up at, at the ceiling and yelling and just yelling bungalow, yelling yeah. his bear's name. Now this is whole world. I think, I mean, I think that, I think that where it becomes objectively funny is that (laughs) is that you know the things that really matter you know what i mean you felt pain on 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 such a different level that to consider feeling so sad about a stuffed animal is what is what seems funny and it's almost like i'm amused and like bewildered at the fact that I know that I too once felt like that. Right. I've felt that same uh, absolute 
loss over something that's so really in the grand scheme of my whole life, really insignificant. And to be able to get a sort of a glimpse at this, a much smaller world, but the importance of the things in that world, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's endearing. It's sad. And, and honestly, like, it's like, it's like knowing what's to come in life. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he was truly just heartbroken. I mean, absolutely crushed. I've never seen a human so crushed before. Yeah, yeah. God bless him, dude. He very quickly sort of sat up and still crying and still sobbing said, I have a, I have a very big blue spot. And now he's like, you know, sobbing. It's one of these, he's like, I have a, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was one of these, mm-hmm. right? I have a very big blue spot. And I said, Oh, that's, I'm really sorry. You know, I, but, but I, in my mind, I'm like, Oh shit, that's great that he yeah, can like recognize he the feeling. He, yeah, he's applying this. And then he says, he's like waving his hands around. Like he's looking for the words, you know, he's like, I, it's so big. It's so big. It's like, it's like, it's like all of the blue in the entire neighborhood. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I was like, dude, he was looking for like the biggest thing that he knows in his his world. world. Yeah. And he was trying to attach, he was trying to explain it to me so that I understood exactly how devastated he really was. But man, once he started talking about it, once he started talking about the way that he felt, you know, the mood really shifted we could then talk because he wasn't wailing. And he even got to the point where he said, <laughs> we've been talking so much that I forgot Bungalow wasn't here. But then that made him cry. <laughs> again. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's still going through but, a, a grieving process, you know? Yeah. But, but man, that's... when he, right, as soon as he could put words to it. Now, it wasn't like instantaneous, but but the power of like putting words to these feelings that were so in like deep, you know, and emotional and from this really, really like vulnerable place. Um, as soon as he could start to put words to it, it, it got us through. That's what got us through that time to the point where he could fall asleep. That's amazing. It's amazing that those books have helped you out in that way. I definitely want to check them out. Um, what we'll put, we can put a link to the book or the series in the show notes. I mean, sometimes something as simple as a book, I mean, whether or not it's a book that's intended to help you navigate those situations or help a kid to find the words to talk about it, or whether it's just a book that has a particular moral that you can connect to, like it's just an entryway into the conversation with the kid that helps them process those feelings. I mean, it's, it really is right. Honestly, like it's no different than uh, to tie it into our guest to, to Chris Gethard's, his body of work, but specifically what we're talking about today is his essay dad on pills. You know, it's, it is an entryway into a conversation about something that's a, 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 can be a pretty heavy topic. Right. Yeah. I mean, going, going into the situation with my son, we talk a little bit in the interview actually with Chris about how he u- utilizes different mediums yeah. to tell his story because you never know where you're going to connect with somebody or where somebody is going to connect with you and with your story and really hear what you're saying and, and in a way that's going to resonate 
and stick with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And where we left off in our conversation with Chris in our last episode, which if you haven't heard it, uh, I would recommend going back and listening to that first is Chris was talking about his son, Cal, who's almost three years old and how Cal one day is going to learn about who Chris is and some, some deeply personal things about him and just how he, he hopes that Cal will perceive that and how he hopes that we're in a much better place now than we were 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago in terms of our ability to have conversations about it, normalizing the conversation. So let's get back into our conversation with Chris Gethard. Here is part two, uh, beginning, well, now. Chris, there's a lot of things that um, that people will take away from reading Dad on Pills, but if you could choose the one biggest takeaway, the thing that you hope that people take with them after reading the essay, what would it be? I think the thing that was sort of like hardest, you know, I, I, I do talk about an incident after my son was born where I was almost hospitalized and it was hard to put it out there, but, you know. It kind of spoils the ending, but since you asked directly, so cover your ears if you're going to go read the piece. But (laughs) I'll say like one of the things I realized was that as that day or two was unfolding and it felt very close to crisis, I took so much strength from the fact that my son was not judging me on that. He, and like I could hold him and sing songs that he liked and he just curled up on me. And I did not feel like myself he didn't care. I was still his dad. Now, obviously he was too young maybe to notice or verbalize, but I also think there's something more fundamental there, which is like, we can slice through all the outside noise and societal judgment. And, you know, any part of me that felt like, man, I'm failing as a dad by kind of having a little bit of a breakdown or this panic attack, whatever you want to call it. Like he doesn't care. He just wants to like sit at the table and eat lunch and play with dinosaurs. And I realized that so much of the awkwardness around this and the pain around it is stigma, is taboo. And that's all societal. And that should he ever face some of the same problems I face, what I owe him is the same thing he gave me that day. Which Mm. is like, you're my kid. I don't care. Like... Whatever you need, whatever you need to curl up in the corner of the room in the dark and cry for a while. I've done that. Go do it. Yep. Does not yeah. change who you are to me. Um, and, and the feeling that, you know, so many of us have this feeling of, man, if people saw how fragile I am or how broken I am, it would fundamentally alter their opinion of me. When it comes to a parent-child relationship, I think that that is null and void. Like he taught me that day, oh, he doesn't care. It does not change his opinion of me as a dad. So I can never let my opinion of him as a son change should he face some of the same things. And it's not like kids will see that and decide that they're not going to allow that to affect their perception of you. It's like it's not even on their radar. You're just dad. Yeah. You're just a parent. You're just the person that takes care of them. And it's not even... It's not even visible to them almost. Yeah, that's where the title of the piece comes from too. It's like, I'm his I'm his dad if I'm strong. I'm his dad if I'm crying. I'm his dad if I'm on pills. Um, mm. He doesn't delineate. Yeah. There's no part of him going, ooh, your mm. vulnerability is making me feel uncomfortable right now. Your inability <laughs> right. to hold it together 
is putting me in an awkward place. It's like, oh no, mm-hmm. that's just all stuff we are taught to do and teach each other along the way. Yeah. So I got to carve out that same lack of judgment that he gave me. Cause you know, like many things in the past three years of knowing him, he's teaching me way more than I'm teaching him. And, and that was really, really eye opening. And sometimes your sometimes your dad who comes into the room and turns PJ masks off when it's definitely not time to turn PJ masks off yet, <laughs> yeah. Dad. I mean, he went for a full month straight where he refused to answer to his own name and only answered to Connor or Catboy. <laughs> That's how much he loves PJ masks. He That's would not. Great. There was one time where my wife took him. To, there's a town near us, and they had a good Christmas lights display, and they're like town square. And he ran. He like took off on her. I wasn't there. And he's running towards the street and she's going, cow, cow. And he did not slow down or break stride. He over his shoulder went, I'm cat boy and kept running into traffic. And she was like, cat boy, stop. And then he stopped. Oh, it wasn't until she caved. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm committing to the reality. So you commit to my reality and then we can play ball. Sounds like he was utilizing his super cat speed. Yeah, I was like both terrified by that story and also like really impressed by his ability to commit to his character. You've written about the fear that you could pass these genes on to Cal. And I guess I wonder if if you did start to recognize behaviors that maybe you feel like kind of mirrored some of your experiences, how do you feel that all of the work that you've done to to understand it and to normalize the conversation um, would make his journey different from your own? Well, when Career Suicide came out in 2017, like it felt notable for somebody to go on a platform as big as HBO and talk about this stuff. But I hope that what it creates at the end of the day is a feeling in him that he doesn't have to hide anything from me. Because A, I've put it out there. So hopefully he'll know he can talk to me. And B, like, I, I hope as he becomes aware, like, I've lived in dread since we understood that he was actually going to be delivered into the world. I'm like, oh, he's going to Google me someday. He's going to find a lot of weird <laughs> videos, me doing a lot of weird comedy stuff, talking about a lot of dark stuff. But I hope that that leads to him also understanding that I'm pretty hard to shock. You know, I've been through a lot of stuff. I've heard a lot of stuff. It's it's hard to shock me. And I can't think of too many things he could throw at me that would cause me to seal off emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I certainly think that our father's generation, they were notorious for closing off emotionally. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I hope that the fact that I've put a lot of this stuff out there makes him at least subconsciously aware of like the door is open. I'm not going to slam the door. So if you need to close the door and deal with stuff yourself, you can. But anytime you want to open that door again, feel free, buddy, because I'm not locking that door on you. I don't know that that's a feeling I always had. Okay, so we're going to try something kind of, I hope it's kind of fun here, Chris. We've told you about this, about what's happening, and Mark teased it earlier on in the episode. But... Last year, we had a guest on the show, a father of two from Wisconsin named Brian. And like you, Chris, Brian has struggled with mental illness for a long time. And had, we had a really 
candid conversation uh, and a really wonderful conversation with him about it. Brian brought your name up more than once as somebody who he really looks up to and has found a lot of inspiration from. So we thought, how cool would it be to invite Brian back onto the show with you here as our guest and sort of surprise him. He does not know that you're on. Amazing. And he is in the waiting room. So are you guys ready? Yeah. Hey, man. There he is. Get the hell out of here, Gethard. What's up, dude? <laughs> no way. How you doing, Brian? I like your Oh, kid. my God. What is up, guys? You have an amazing kitchen. <laughs> This Thanks. guy's kitchen. Is anybody else Holy not blown crap. away by the quality of this guy's kitchen? <laughs> it's a nice kitchen. It's a good looking kitchen. Yeah. Well, thank you. My wife thinks it's too small, actually. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, Brian, surprise. <laughs> you had such amazing things to say about Chris when we chatted last year. And here he is on our podcast promoting his new essay, Dad on Pills. We thought we'd bring you in to meet him and to let him know what's up with you. And oh, my how God. <laughs> I can't believe this. Wow. Um, I mean, I just got to say, uh, Chris, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I've read your books. I've listened to all your specials. I mean, a friend turned me on to you about three or four years ago when I was really struggling, and it, I found someone that got it. Thanks, um, man. I'm glad to help. How are you feeling now? Better. A lot better, actually. I'm on a good medication regimen. Um, good. I quit my stressful job and got a different one, um, to be home more with my family. So, um, and that's li literally in large part to you, man. That's awesome. And I always listen to, uh, um, beautiful anonymous too. Happy to help. That makes me so happy to hear that, man. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, the friend that turned me on to you had said that he, you reminded me, I reminded him of you. Um, wow, for better or for worse, I'm sorry. <laughs> In many ways, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, yeah, but I mean, you have that ability to take something as serious as mental health, but still make a joke out of it while still taking it seriously. And uh, not many people can do that. I'm happy to uh, happy to hear that I helped in any way. That's awesome. Oh, That's awesome. This I am sorry. I'm just still a little blown away. Sorry, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Well, I was blown away by your kitchen. I was blown away by your kitchen and your beard. As someone who recently grew out a beard for the first time, your beard was really impressive. I feel like I haven't shaved since December 29th, and this is all I got. Oh, you'll get there. Don't worry, man. <laughs> I'm right there with you. In fact, you that's that's more impressive than what I could do in that amount of time. But is it, are these areas ever going to grow in or is that just his hair just not growing? Mine never did. Mine never did. Your beard looks great, though. Your beard is awesome. <laughs> I can grow a mustache in like 20 minutes, but the full beard just never comes in. My spots that never grow, for some reason, I have these really weird patches. I mean, if I tried to do anything remotely close to either of you guys, I would just look. I would look like I took hair from an animal and, and just poorly <laughs> glued it onto my face. That's what it's supposed well, to look like. See, the hairline uh, the hairline is like really getting atrocious, so I figured I need to know at least what I'm working with facial hair-wise. <laughs> so I decided, to, I took a vacation and then I said, I'm just not going to shave on the vacation. Now I think I'm keeping it. We'll see. I think you're pulling it off, man, so I keep it. Um, so with everybody on the call, I had one quick question I just kind of wanted to put out there. Chris, you write and you speak about such heavy personal 
things. Um, and I, it means that you've got to do this kind of thing a lot. I, I imagine, right. You spend a lot of time having conversations with people like us and hearing from people who identify with that experience. Is it difficult to focus so much of your time and thought on something that's caused pain in your life? Or is it a cathartic thing for you? It can be really difficult. It can be really difficult. And I've, I've spoken publicly about that too, of like, I think part of why I have sort of sparingly, you know, career suicide on HBO, I like attack this stuff head on, dad on pills, attack it head on. Those came out five years apart. And like I said, like there's, there are people who are like, oh, you could make money if you went out and spoke about it more. And I go, no, I don't want to commodify it. And also it's not easy. Like, you know, I've, I've had at this point, thousands of people reach out to me in various forms. And sometimes they'll tell me some really, really dark stuff and sad stuff from their life. And it's like always flattering 100% of the time to know that I helped in any way. And then some, when it's, when it's hardest is when I'm on tour I'm doing stand up. And it's like, I remember specifically being in Atlanta and I hadn't spent much time in Atlanta before. And someone told me just like a really, really, really heavy thing after show. And I was so flattered that they trusted me to tell it to me. And that the fact that I've spoken about this stuff helped them get to a point where they could speak about it. But then it's also like, now I'm just going and sitting in a hotel room in Atlanta thinking about it. And right, it can be right. tough. You de- definitely give a piece yourself away, but it's like, I'd rather be someone who's spoken publicly enough about it to have that problem than to be the person who's still trying to like hold it together and hope no one notices while my life completely falls apart. And I'm behaving like a madman who I don't, you know, where I'm like getting through the day. And then at the end of the day going like, I don't even recognize myself in my own behavior today. Um, so I'd much rather be a person who has too large of a sad community than, than someone who's just like crumbling under the burden of trying to shoulder that load myself. But yeah, I can't pretend that it's all like sunshine and flowers because sometimes people will, will tell me some sad stuff. And it's just, it's just sad to see how much pain there is in the world and how much it, the thing that kind of actually bums me out is I'm like, I'm a pretty low level comedian. Like I'm still a rather underground commodity. So I'm like, there are many people who tell me like, you're the only person I feel comfortable telling this to. And I'm like, that bums me out. Cause that means your family, your friends, your coworkers, your medical professionals, like there's still, there's still so much fear around this stuff that you can't trust any of them. And you're coming to like the guy who was on two episodes of the office after Steve Carell left. Like that's, yeah, but you were that's a, bummer. Like, that's a bummer. Like that was you know? a, that was awesome. So let's not sell yourself short. It's true. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> For some reason, Trevor struck a chord. You know, it was pretty small. I mean, two episodes, and really, one was just a cameo. <laughs> but for some reason, people like Trevor. Although I, I will tell you, I also did a part on a show called Space Force and a person came up to me and said they loved me on The Office. And then I quickly realized they thought that I had played Toby the entire time. And I was like, that, <laughs> oh, that sums up my career. Like I was on The Office, but you don't even remember me for my part on The Office, even though <laughs> yeah. I was also on it. You've confused Jeez. me with someone else. Well, Chris, you've been really generous with your time. Thank you so much. Brian, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to say to Chris before we wrap things up? Uh, Man, just thank you. You know, you had mentioned it's not easy and it puts a lot of weight on you to talk about it like that all the time. But 
that representation matters. And from your example, I tried to live more loud and proud, I guess, about my own mental health. And it's inspired a lot of other people, too. Um, I was actually really blown away to find out how many of my friends and family struggle with some sort of mental health, too. And they, all of them had said, well, if you, I didn't know you were. And, well, you started talking about it, so I figured it's nothing to be ashamed of. And so, I mean, I can only begin to imagine what you go through when you talk about that or hear some of the stuff that you do. But at the same time, it's important work. So thank you very much. Brian, thank you so much. That's super meaningful. And it's a good reminder to me of why I get out there and try to do it. So thanks for saying it and happy to help. Very, very happy to help sincerely. And I do have to ask, uh, does your son like the Smiths? Nah, he hasn't heard too much of the Smiths. Um, I used to sing him a few Smith songs to get him to go to bed. And then he hit a certain age where my wife was like, he understands lyrics now. And these are too sad. So well, oh, you gotta, man, you got to put this. So sing him a couple Smith songs, but I'll let him discover them down the line on his own. Uh, I thought you were going to say he's he's not really into the Smiths. He, he's he's only more. <laughs> oh, solo. That's, he only does the solo record. That is not a very acceptable 2022 attitude. <laughs> He was like, oh, he's more of a cure guy. He, he has, he has started, he has recently learned the phrase, I'm not into that. And it's delightful. We'll be like, dude, you got, we got to change your diaper. I can smell poop. He's like, I'm not into changing my diaper. I'm like, oh, you're not into it. Yeah. Too fucking bad. Man. Yeah. That sounds this, like this is going to happen. None like, of us are really that into it. He sounds like a Gen X, like a Gen X movie reviewer, like music reviewer writing for a fanzine in the late nineties. It's like, I got to say, I'm just not into it. I'm like, Oh my God, you're too. What are you talking about? What are you into? I don't care what you're into. That's amazing. Well, yeah, Chris, we, we want to echo a lot of what Brian said. We want to say thank you because the work that you do is really important. And somehow, you know, you, you strike this really amazing balance of normalizing the conversation about mental health and being funny about it without demeaning the weight of the subject matter. And I, I think that's commendable uh, and awesome. That, that you're out there. Uh, and so from, from the, the, the couple of folks over at Modern Dadhood, we want to say uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for the kind words. Dads, you can check out Chris Gethard's essay on Scribd, and we've included a link in the show notes for a free month subscription so you can read Dad on Pills for free along with a ton of other great material there on Scribd. Chris, you are a true blessing. We're uh, so grateful to have, have you here with us. Thanks so much for, for sharing a little bit of your time with us. Thank you. Well, I have uh, an instant regret to share with you. Lay it on me. Ah, dumb. You think I haven't heard that one a zillion times before? I didn't mean anything by it. It really didn't. Hit it.
All right. So here's my instant regret. It's pretty, I think it's pretty fast and pretty easy. It actually ties in pretty well to the, the story you told earlier, the, the high emotion oh. story. So my eight year old mm. daughter has had this doll for her whole life. And for mm. the sake of, you know, privacy and anonymity, we're just going to call the doll baby, baby. Okay. Baby, 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 Flaherty. baby. Okay. Baby. <laughs> All right. Baby, baby, baby is Flaherty. Got baby, it. baby's been through the ringer. I mean, she's swum in the ocean. She's, um, hmm. you know, been dragged through the mud. Baby, baby has seen a lot in her eight years. So she's plastic head, no clothing, but, just, but like kind of a fabric body, you know, but plastic mm-hmm. hands and feet and, you know, eyes that kind of like will roll back when, you know, the baby's mm-hmm. supposed to be sleeping <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. So my older daughter, like, and she's tossed baby baby around like plenty. Baby baby's pretty tough at this point, but at the same time, she nurtures baby baby. And even at eight years old, like she loves, she doesn't go to bed with the doll every night, but like she'll cuddle the doll. And I think it's very sweet. Mm. We were finishing dinner the other night. All right. And she, for whatever reason, had baby baby at the dinner table and we'd finished our meal and she'd come over and she was like sitting with me and like sort of playing with baby baby in in my face a little bit. And I was kind of playing along Mm -hmm. like baby, baby, you're getting in my face. And she kept doing it and she was like, you know, kind of thrusting baby, baby. And it didn't bother me, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, baby, baby, if you do that again, I'm going to have to toss you. (laughs) And, um, and so she does it again, gets baby right in my face, a little, little voice. And, and I'm like, all right, baby, baby, you asked for it. And so I take baby, baby. And I didn't like Mm. hurl her across the room, but I like gently Uh tossed her, you know, gently tossed her. The doll lands Uh on the floor, like two feet to my left. And my older daughter looks at me and goes, you threw baby, baby. I'm like, yeah, I told you I was like, before I could even say, (laughs) yeah, I told you I was Uh going to do it. Like that was part of the game. I warned baby, baby. She was in tears. She got under the dining room table and was just bawling. Uh, I didn't feel that bad because I know that my, my daughter can turn it on whenever she wants. It's like a combination Mm. of like emotions run are running high anyway, but she also maybe there's like a little bit of the ability to manipulate, you know, manipulate me a little bit, you know, because she knew that it was coming. And so I'm like, yeah, I uh, obviously I instantly regret this because I just threw our whole world into a tailspin. Right. Well, and is it one of these situations where. You just didn't pick up that she was playing a particular game. I think she almost you know, wanted you, it to happen. Mm. I don't think that she's like devious in this way, but a little bit of me thinks like she knew that it was going to happen and she had yeah. the opportunity to have a little flip out and create some drama. And I don't know, maybe it was, but, there was some satisfaction in some way. But the the moment turned from a sweet interaction with her dad to this now Right. Dramatic sort of waterworks under the table kind of situation. And my wife, like she's, she was there. She saw the whole thing. She wasn't upset with me, but you know, we're both looking at each other like, Oh my God, of course, of course. She looks looks at you and she, and she says, 
You do the same thing to me, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're sleeping. You're you're not sleeping on the couch. You're sleeping in the, the shed. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're out of this side. house. No, but I have to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, right. I, I thought we were, we were just playing a game. I'm, I, I'll not, I'll never toss baby baby again. You know, I've, you know, but I also had to defend myself a little bit and be like, I told you that was going to happen. And I've s- literally seen you. You were walking down the hallway last week, like dropping <laughs> baby baby, like for fun mm-hmm. and saying that baby baby didn't get hurt and didn't mind it. So like. Anyway, instant regret just solely because it created so much drama that could have been so easily mm. avoided. So clearly you picked baby baby up and, and threw it right in the garbage, right? Gone. And said, and said, enough of this. Baby baby will not create any more drama in our lives. Yeah. Sarah did come to my defense, though. She was, she was like, you know, baby baby is not alive. Hmm. This is a doll. You know this. You know, of course, my daughter well, knows that. But like, you know, this is an opportunity for her to say, yeah, but she's my baby and she has feelings and she she's hurt. And it's like, no, now you're playing a game. You're an opportunist. That's interesting, though. Like, I want is is it. <laughs> Don't read too <laughs> far into this. Mark. You're an opportunist. <laughs> <laughs> Don't read That's too great. far into this. Do not side oh, with my eight year old. <laughs> No, I'm never, I'm no, I wouldn't, but I'm just, but no, I'm just wondering, like, is, is it sort of this, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, is she trying to understand the boundaries of like what's expected of her, you know, as, as a person in the world, you know, Hmm. is, is it like, oh, is it cool for me to play with, with dolls or like, should I stop? And like, let me try this, let me try this on for size. I'll act as if it's a real baby for a minute and melt down if it felt something doesn't go my way and gauge how the, the parental units react, you I know, mean, yeah, I mean, not, to, not, to, not to say that it's like this super calculated thing, but is there some kind of sort of, you know, game at play where it's like, she actually maybe wants to drop the baby, baby <laughs> thing altogether, but she's also, you know, she knows that it used to mean something really it used to be, used to be really important to her. It used to really mean something to her, yeah, yeah. you know, and maybe she feels almost like a little bit of guilt or, you know, something over, like maybe she's had these moments where she's looks at it and she's like, I don't care about this thing anymore. You know, and Mark, I'm not saying that was Mark necessarily a play. PhD. <laughs> I think you just figured the whole thing out. I think you cracked I, the baby, baby code. Maybe I cracked the baby, baby code. No, but I do. I, I mean, there is probably some of that. Like there is probably some. And like, of course, she doesn't know, know that that's right. what she's it's not doing. This, it's not this like real scientific experiment, in, but it's it's this sort of she's following the feelings a little bit and sort of pushing the boundaries of these feelings to see what's what what's right you know in in maybe some other people's minds you know testing it out with mom and dad kind of thing instant regret don't throw baby baby even if you're just goofing around Well, that's it for us, folks. Tune in next week for some more bro stuff. For some more guys talking lady stuff. Lady stuff. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Are you tired of ladies being like, nope, not you? (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, you can find us at moderndadhood.com and at such podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Gethcasts, Gethcaster, Chris Pod, and wherever you you know listen, do us a favor, subscribe, maybe leave a, a, a rating or a review. And uh, for the love of all that's holy, would you tell a friend? We've been asking since episode one. You can follow Modern Dadhood on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we have t-shirts and dad hoodies available on our website, moderndadhood.com. You can click on the shop link and uh, buy yourself a comfortable t-shirt or hoodie. Don't forget to reach out at uh, hey at moderndadhood.com. You can, you can literally email us anything you, you want. We don't have any parameters. Thank you, as always, to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for the music you hear in Modern Dadhood. Thank you to Pete Morse at Red Vault Audio for his awesome mixing of our show. You can learn more about Pete and his studio at redvaultaudio.com. Thank you so much to Chris Gethard for the amazing conversation. And Mark, I know you like to close it out, so uh, have at it. Thank you for listening.